Today we're continuing in this series that we started several weeks ago called the the Spirit of Jesus. And uh, actually, before I took my vacation, I was reading in Genesis 24, kind of in my normal Bible reading, and and I was very inspired and getting a lot of revelation out of it. And and the Lord said, "This is your message for when you get back." And I was like, "Okay, awesome." And so I want to talk to you today about discerning God's voice, learning to hear God's voice for yourself. Uh, And what I mean by that is uh, specifically the Holy Spirit. We know that God has obviously spoken through his word, and the Bible's a big book, so God has already said a lot in history. You should never complain uh, that that God doesn't speak to you while your Bible remains unopened. Can I get a good amen? All right, that's some good old school preaching right there. Uh, And so we'll talk more about that, but... But I I really want to focus today on talking about learning to hear the Holy Spirit and and learning to recognize when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you because he doesn't always use English and he doesn't always use words. And so we're going to talk about the different ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and, and how to discern God's will in your life. Anybody need help discerning God's will in your life? Anybody need help making major decisions in your life? Yes, and, and you want to obviously be guided by Scripture, which we'll talk about. But Scripture doesn't talk about every single little nook and cranny of our lives, right? That's what the Holy Spirit is for. He's there to help interpret Scripture for us and help us uh, guide us into all truth, which not only includes understanding Scripture, but it also includes leading us on the path that God has for every single one of us. And we'll dive into that. But I saw this meme. I guess it's like a, it's a, video, like a reel. You know, like a reel or a TikTok video. Um, and it was like a meme of, of one of those. Um, and, it, man, it just hit my funny bone. And, I, and it also illustrated, I feel like, uh, I felt it deep in my soul. I'll just say this. Uh, any, any of you see the Hey Goo Goo TikTok reel video? Anybody know what I'm talking about? One person. Awesome. I have one person. Some of you might have seen this, but I'm going to show it to you for those who haven't seen it. Uh, check out this video. This is an, an older Italian lady learning oh, how to use Google. You have Google. to say, hey, Google. Okay. Hey, Google. Okay, Google. What's the there weather? Yeah. What's the weather, ask? What the weather? You want to know what is the weather? Tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. In Flagler Beach tomorrow, there will be showers with a high of 65 and a low of 56. <laughs> What's it, man? I'm scared. I'm scared. It's a mystery. Oh my gosh. No. Ask Google to play an Italian song. Cuckoo! Oh, I love that so much. I felt that deep in my soul. And, and somebody put that over it like when you're first learning how to pray. Like, isn't this what it's like? Any of y'all felt like that's what it's like when you're trying to pray? Like, hey, Jesus, you know, like, I hope you can hear me up there. And then when he actually does answer you, maybe, maybe when you first heard or felt the Holy Spirit for the first time, you were like, whoa, whoa, I'm scared, I'm scared right now. Like, it's a pretty powerful experience, it's a very real thing, and, and it's exciting. Uh, but we need to learn the language of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Back in 2004, December 26, 2004, one of the worst natural disasters in recorded history took place. Uh, There was a great earthquake over in in the Indian Ocean, and the shockwaves of that caused not just one, but several tsunamis that were, I don't know if you, anybody remember the tsunami of 2004, and it affected Indonesia, Thailand, a, a whole lot of other countries, 
uh, it killed over 200,000 people, which I remember seeing that on the news and being like, this is catastrophic. And uh, what I didn't realize as I, as I read about it this week was that the waves that it sent, several of them were over 100 feet tall, traveling at over 500 miles per hour, and they went over 3,000 miles, uh, you know, all the way to the, to the kind of southern coast of, of Western Africa. Um, killed over 200,000 people. What was amazing is right near the epicenter of that disaster, there was an ethnic group of people uh, called the Moken people who they did not have a single casualty in that uh, event. The Moken uh, are sea nomads. For thousands of years, they've lived their lives on the sea. Their, their houses are their boats. And when they felt the earthquake, they saw the ocean waters receding, going out to sea. They heard the birds stop chirping. They noticed the dolphins that are normally in the shallower areas where they like to fish started swimming out to sea. And because uh, they knew how to read the ocean, because they'd lived on it for millennia. Um, by the way, their children learn to swim before they learn how to walk. They, uh, as an ethnic group, can see twice as well underwater as you and I can. These are the Mokin people. And when they saw all these signs, they knew what was happening, and they literally began to cry. Those out at sea went further out at sea so that the, the tsunami, would uh, its impact would be reduced by the depth of the sea. Those near the shore put their boats on the land, and they hiked to the high ground. And because they knew how to read the signs of nature, they spoke a language many of us do not speak. And they knew how to read it. They knew how to interpret it. Not a single life was lost. Do you know how to read the signs of the times? Do you know how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and respond to his leading. Because I'm telling you, if you will live your life in the presence of God, not just one hour, okay, two hours for us, on a Sunday, (laughs) you'll avoid some disasters in your life. But you'll also pursue a purpose and a calling That is beyond you, but with God's help, you'll fulfill it. You'll make a great difference in the world. I have to wonder if that young man from Germany, Nicholas Zinzendorf, knew what God was going to do when he was responding to a piece of art. By the way, I want to encourage our our prophetic artists that we always have up here, Tasha and her team. This 100-year prayer revival, the modern missions movement, started, it hit me this week as I read it, he was in a museum looking at a piece of christian art devotional art he's i've done this for you what have you done for me and he was so inspired by the holy spirit he's like i'll do whatever he wants by a piece of art i encouraged our worship team as we play songs as we write songs for jesus it's no small thing i have to wonder if he knew what he was getting into and yet look at how god used his life the world's still being impacted by what he did through that man He responded to the Holy Spirit. And a lot of what happened through that community was responding to the Holy Spirit's voice. And so the Holy Spirit does speak to us a few uh, theological 
scriptures before we dive into the ways the Spirit speaks. John 16, 13, Jesus said, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. Who's he hearing it from? Jesus, the Father, right? And he will tell you what is to come. That's the gift of prophecy, the prophetic gift. There are some Christian churches, Christian leaders in our day and age, mostly in Western European nations, who would say, well, that's, he's talking about Scripture. The Holy Spirit will help us understand Scripture. In other words, you can't take that literally when it says the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Can we take this literally? I think we can. Why? The Bible told me so. When you read the book of Acts, did they take this literally? The original disciples, a few scriptures, Acts 13, 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, (laughs) set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. That's in quotation marks. It's like this was a verbatim sentence the Holy Spirit said. Was it an audible voice? Did they all hear it in their minds and they all look up and go, oh my goodness, did you hear what I heard? I can't tell you how many Wednesday prayer meetings where I go to pray something and I start praying it and I hear people start laughing like, (laughs) and and I find out later they're like, I was thinking verbatim exactly what you prayed when you prayed it. And that's happened in reverse. And so how did the Holy Spirit speak? We don't know what that experience was like, but we know it says the Holy Spirit said, and they somehow knew it was the Holy Spirit because they wrote it down as the Holy Spirit spoke to us. Acts chapter 20, 22 and 23, Paul says, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He's compelled by the Spirit, right? This compulsion, this intuition, this sense, this feeling. I I don't know. I just feel like I sense that the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do this. And all I know is, I don't know what's going to happen, but, and he's not telling me what's going to happen, but all he's telling me is prison and hardships are coming through this journey. And the Holy Spirit was warning Paul not to get him to not to do it, but so that when the prison and hardships came, Paul would know, I haven't messed up. I didn't do something wrong. I'm doing exactly what God's wanting me to do. And persecution is part of that journey. At the very next chapter, this is so interesting, 21, Acts 21, 10 and 11, it says, after we'd been there a number of days, this is Luke who's writing this and and Paul and a few others, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us, he took Paul's, Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, listen, he said what? The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt And will hand him over to the Gentiles. So a man who's called a prophet. Who by the way this is post-resurrection New Testament Christianity. Not an apostle. Called a prophet. Lowercase p. What he prophesied is not scripture. So prophecy is not adding to scripture. The prophetic gift. Right? Scripture has been written. It is canonized. Right? We believe that. But what, it, what is prophecy? Prophecy is the Holy Spirit comes on someone and, and is speaking to them and revealing God's heart in a situation. That's very simply what it is. Prophecy, oftentimes, the prophetic gift will unpack what, a, what Scripture means. It, that's why uh, it says two or three prophets should speak in the book of Corinthians. They, they use prophet synonymous with preacher. But this man literally predicted the future. In Acts chapter 11, same Agabus, he pr- predicted a famine. By the spirit of prophecy, right? This spiritual gift. And when it says uh, in 1 Thessalonians, 
Uh, don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them. They're not, he's not talking about scripture because some of the churches and, and the way of thinking, the cessationist way of thinking in our day and age that, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak. He's really talking about scripture when it says the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Well, why does it say in First Thessalonians to test prophecies? It's not talking about the Old Testament prophets. It's not talking about scripture. It's talking about people speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And yes, that needs tested. Why does it need tested? Scripture says test the spirits. Your spirit causes your thoughts, right? So there's your spirit. There's the spirit of God and the angels work and the angels will deliver message and speak to you and, and those, those types of things, the Holy Spirit. That's those, the good spirits, so to speak. And then you got the bad spirits, the demonic, right? Satan and his minions. It says in scripture in Corinthians that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, right? And so we need to learn to discern and test the spirits. And when you start, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit and, and when you start learning to hear God's voice for yourself, the enemy will mess with you on that. I, I liken it to learning prophetically. It's part of the prophetic gift. And Paul says in scripture, I wish you would all prophesy. He says that's one of the greatest gifts. It's learning to commune with God, hear God's voice, and then be able to encourage others. Joel 2, Acts 2 basically says all will prophesy. God wants all of his people to prophesy and to be prophetic people, to be able to speak his words, his encouragement into lives of, the, of other people, to build up the church, to build up faith, okay? And so uh, we have to learn to discern, though, because when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, when he speaks through your feelings, these, these promptings that you'll get, when he speaks through your thoughts, they sound like your thoughts, right? So we have to learn to discern, are, are these, sometimes it is my spirit. And it felt like maybe it was God, but it was really my spirit. Sometimes it felt like my spirit and it was really God, right? And there's examples of that in scripture even. It's, it's really, really, really interesting. We have to learn to discern. And so how do we learn how to hear God's voice? Um, well, that's what I want to talk to you about today. And, and as I said, I was reading um, Genesis 24. And I went, oh my goodness, this is a case study and how to discern the voice of God for us. And so I'm going to preach this, what I would call preach it prophetically. Um, and so there's some literal um, principles we can draw out of this. But I'm really going to prophesy this Old Testament story for us. Because they didn't have the Holy Spirit living within them. But you're going to see the principles that we draw out of this. Of how to discern God's voice for us. And by the way, if you want to know more about uh, this topic. There's a lady named Havila Cunnington who has a great teaching called The Four Prophetic Personalities, How We Hear God. And she says there, there are seers, hearers, feelers, and knowers, right? So seer, and, and, and most people that I've met, and she teaches this, and I would agree, um, you kind of have one way that you mostly connect with God and how you hear God. Uh, seers are like dreams and visions people, all right? Dreams and visions. Hearers are you, you hear uh, the voice of God in your spirit. Most of the time it's not audible, right? In your spirit, in your thoughts, you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Um, feelers, those are kind of those, the promptings, you know, or you, some, you feel the emotions of God over a situation and it gives you prophetic insight or over a person. Um, and then uh, knowers, that's like, and now compelled by the spirit, I just know, 
I just know. I can't explain it. I just know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem, right? I just know. You get a download. Boom. I know what we're supposed to do, and I know it's God, right? And so these are the four types uh, of prophetic personalities, and that's, that's a really awesome teaching, and you can Google that and find out more about that. But I want to talk about the process of discernment. And listen, it's a process. If you were learning Spanish or if you were learning Russian, you know, you, it's going to take some time, right? You've got to learn that new language. And let me just give you a heads up. When you're, when you're first getting into God, church, reading the Bible, and learning to hear the Holy Spirit speak, I'm just going to t- sometimes it's going to feel like, hey, goo-goo, all right? Like, hey, goo-goo, is this even working? I don't even know, right? And so uh, let's dive into Genesis 24, and we're going to unpack this as we go together today. Case study in confirming or discerning God's voice in Scripture. It says, Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your right hand under my thigh. You think handshakes and hugs are weird. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. It, 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 you know, did, did Abraham just have a harebrained idea one day? Like, hey, my son Isaac needs a wife. I uh, want you to go get one for him. It seems like he's thought about this quite a bit. He's doing the whole put your hand under my thigh, swear an oath thing. I mean, that seems pretty serious. I don't know anyone in the modern age who's done that level of oath, right? And uh, is, he just, is this just a good idea, or is this a God idea? We need help discerning, right? I'm an I'm a idea person. I have a hundred good ideas a day. We could do this. We could do that for church, for our family. There's no way we could do them all. How do we discern? Is this a good idea or is this a God idea? Abraham's not just making this up. In fact, I think you can make the case that he is making a decision in alignment with, quote unquote, scripture. Why do I say that? Because Genesis chapter 12 is scripture. And God said to him, all nations are going to be blessed through you and through your seed, through your offspring. And then throughout his journey, Genesis 18, Genesis 22, he reaffirms this covenant, this promise. And he says, I'm going to do this through Isaac. And so Abraham knows all nations, there's going to be more children through my, through Isaac. I know that's coming. So for Isaac to be able to have kids, he's got to have what? A wife, right? And so he's like, I want you to get a wife for Isaac. And he gives specific instructions. Go back to my father's family, to to our extended family there, back in the region, right? That's him wanting to get someone who's of the same faith, right? And not get intermarried with the Canaanites. That's not a racism thing, by the way, those commands in the Old Testament. It's a religious thing. That those people worshipped other gods and they would draw them away from the Lord God if they intermarried with people of other different religions. And so God had those commands and, and, and the commands hadn't been given yet, but Abraham is sensing the same thing, right? He's like, in, you know, intuitively or prophetically going, no, it needs to be someone from, from our uh, original country, right, where we came from. And so he says, will you do this? And so he's, he's making a decision in his life. That's in accordance with the will of God. And he already knows that's the will of God because it's already written, written down. He probably did write it down. It, it had already been said by the voice of God specifically. And so principle number one for learning to discern uh, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, adhere to the 
guidelines and principles of scripture or just adhere to scripture, right? If, for example, if maybe you're a young lady, young man, you're trying to make this same type of decision. Who am I going to marry? That's a big decision in life. What career path am I going to go after? That's a big decision in life. Well, if you're trying to date someone who, say, say you're, a, you're a true player, and you got a few people you're dating. you got a few people. You're courting. You know, you're not like messing around physically. You're just courting. I'll go here with this guy. I'll go here with this guy, right? Let's say one's a believer and one's not a believer. Oh, which one should I choose? Let me ask a question. Should you even be dating the non-believer? See, that, that guideline carries over to New Covenant. The Apostle Paul wrote, What does light have to do with darkness? Don't be yoked with unbelievers. You date to marry. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, if Jesus is everything to you, why would you divide half your heart and give it to someone who does not share the same love for the thing that is everything to you? And that the, the New Testament is like, yeah, don't do that. And so if you're trying to decide who to date and they're not a believer in Jesus, you don't need to pray about it no matter how good looking they are. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to ask your pastor no matter, no matter how nice they are. No matter, no matter what their career path is or how much money they make, it's already been written. And the things in black and white and the things in red, if you have a red letter Bible, you don't need to pray about those. If God says, do this, don't do that, you've already got some guidance. And I could show you a whole other sermon about if you're not following the written word and you keep praying about other decisions that aren't in the written word, I could show you how God says, I'm not going to answer your prayers. If you're not interested in basic obedience, why would I answer your prayers on this other stuff? You need to get the basic stuff down first. And so you've got to adhere to the guidelines of scripture. Okay. And by the way, the Bible is God's number one language. It is his authority. It is written down. It, It is the foundation. The Holy Spirit will never disagree with the written word. Okay. All right. So so if your marriage isn't going so great and somebody at work's really giving you attention and they're really nice and they are a Christian and, and, and then you, you feel like the Holy Spirit, you're hearing things, you're feeling things. Maybe, maybe God wants me to be with them, cheat on my spouse or leave. Or I'll get a divorce first, then I'll go be with them. Is that, is that the Holy Spirit? No, that was, the, that was the pizza you had last night. All right, that was not the Holy Spirit. Why? It disagrees with the word of God. And I don't care if you hear an audible voice or even an angel from heaven to quote Paul from Galatians. If it's against the word of God, it ain't God. And so adhere to the word of God. But here's why the rest of this sermon is so important. Discerning the Holy Spirit's voice. This is why the prophetic gift is so important, by the way. And this is why it's such a tragedy when churches in modern West European nations believe the mindsets of their culture over the scriptures and quench the spirit and say the gifts aren't for today. It's so tragic. Here's why. The Bible speaks about a lot of our, God's will for our lives in a lot of areas generically in broad strokes. Because if God spoke specifically for every person who will ever live, it would be an impossible thing to read, right? So God doesn't tell you who to marry specifically. He just says make sure they're a believer. This broad sweeping general generic guideline so let's say you're a true player and you're dating all these great christian young men who all love jesus and they're all good looking and they all got great career paths that are in alignment with god will for their lives 
Then what do you do? Wow. Pray about it, somebody says. Yeah. Pray about it. And what? How are you? When you pray about it, how are you going to know God's answering you? And boom, right there is what we're talking about today. Discerning how God answers. Discerning how the Holy Spirit speaks. And it's funny to me, you know, even cessationist churches or pastors who say, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't really speak that way. Ask those pastors, how did you know you were called to ministry? Well, it says in the word that we should make disciples of all nations. And, uh, you know, somebody's got to do that. Yeah, but I don't, you know, you might be thinking, oh, well, I didn't feel called to be in vocational ministry to do that. By the way, that's another broad sweeping stroke. We are all called to participate in making disciples. But how do you know that it's vocational ministry versus going into the workplace and starting a prayer meeting at your, at your secular business? How do you know which way you're called? I mean, Scripture says God has good works prepared in advance for you to do and for all of us to do. Listen, that's the broad sweeping stroke. Uh, do good works. That's God's will for your life. Okay? Those people over there adopted a kid. Lord Jesus, please let that not be a good work of my life. Right? Like, I don't want to do that, right? How do you know what your good works are? God says in his word, broad sweeping stroke, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope in a future. He says in Psalm 139 that he knit you together in your mother's womb, and he said every day ordained for you and me individually were written in his book before one came to be. So from the scriptures, does God have a, specific plan and purpose for your life absolutely how do you know specifically what his specific plans and purposes are for you how do you know what his specific good works he's preparing in advance for you to do are how do you know who you're supposed to marry how do you get confirmation and this is where the holy spirit is such a gift Because, and I'm not devaluing scripture. We have to know scripture, as I just said. If you didn't hear me, rewind the sermon later and rewatch that part. If you're not following the scriptures, forget about the rest of this sermon. But there's a whole lot of life the scriptures are not speaking to. And I'm not talking about morality versus immorality. I'm talking about good, better, best. What do I do with my life? What decisions do I make? And man, I'm telling you, in ministry, in my, in my job, I encounter, in my family, I encounter decisions every day that are like, this or this, this or this. I don't know what to do. Pray about it. Lord, show me what to do. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Cool, I asked. It says it will be given to you. Cool. So what does it look like when he gives it to you? And some of those, some of those other pastors, like, well, it looks like scripture. that's maddening when it when scripture doesn't speak to which job which career path do i go into ministry or not which person do i marry it's what the holy spirit's for one of the things one of the things the holy spirit is for he it is the spirit of jesus is the literal presence of jesus he wants communion with you that when you pray you know prayer is not just talking you want to revolutionize your prayer life, realize prayer is also listening. In fact, you might even say prayer is first listening. Maybe get into your prayer closet before you start spouting off stuff. Just sit there for five minutes and listen and see what is churned up. Then pray about that. 
Prophetic prayer. Ooh. Pray about what's on God's heart. George Mueller, the famous, you know, guy from the past that was all about prayer. Many, many miracles of prayer. I read a quote from him one time. It blew me away. He said, I used to find my first hour of prayer difficult till I started with the scriptures. He would read a scripture. And be, the scripture's like, this is what's on God's heart. <laughs> now pray about that. He's like, when I started with what was on God's heart, well, then it got real, prayer came to me very easily and quickly. That's a whole other sermon. I got to move. All right. So Abraham's adhering to God's will in his life, that he knows it's God's will. You could say for us, it's the written will. He probably did write it down. It was written down, right? I'm going to bless all nations through you. Verse five, it says, the servant asked him, oh, this is important. What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Verse six, make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, he's quoting what in our case would be scripture. He's quoting God's spoken word to him, right? The Lord God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and native land and spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, Jesus, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. He's saying, great question. Do not allow my son to go to her. Why? Because this is the promised land. This is where he's meant to live. So you bring her to us and listen. This is so important for a prophetic community to understand. And by the way, this is a very prophetic community. We are growing in the prophetic. And it has been prophesied that we will equip and train people in prophetic evangelism even. And so we need to learn discernment big time. And here's a big part. Man, I don't want to get too much in this. This is a whole other sermon. God will prophesy his will for people. But that's not a sure thing that's going to happen. There's a lot of ifs. God's love is unconditional. There's no if in his love, right? But his, pretty much all of his promises are conditional. If you obey. <laughs> Think about that. So God can say, I'm call- my will for you is calling you to the nations. And he could give me that for somebody in here and I prophesy it over you. But if you don't obey it, then, it's, then it doesn't come to pass. And so he says, if the woman says no, you're released. Wow. Wow. Think about that. Whew, I, can't, I can't stay on that topic. But the point is, he says, bring, him, bring her back to the promised land. So um, the servant, verse 9, put his hand under the right thigh of his master Abraham and swore on oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of goods, Good things from his master. He set out for Aram Nahirim and made his way to the town of Nahor, which is Abraham's home town or country. Um, he, he had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he prayed. There it is. Pray about it, right? Here I am. I'm on the journey. Now what, right? Get a woman from this area, this region, this country, this, this group who have the same faith. Okay, I'm here. Oh, shoot, there's a lot of fish in the sea. How am I going to know who is the right person? So he prays. Good idea. Pray about it. Pray about it. Pray about it. Lord, God of my master Abraham, 
Make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be, listen to this. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. She says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So he makes up this scenario and he says, if this happens, let that be you and let her be the one. Now, I would caution you with doing that every single time you go to pray about a decision. I believe that this was actually prophetic because we see it happen exactly. I've had a few of these moments in my life like, I don't know, I got this weird feeling, but Lord, let this happen if this is you. And boom, it happens. It's like, oh, it's God, let's do it, you know? Um, And so... But I believe it was prophetic. Abraham said, the Lord's going to send his angel with you. And, and I believe this is one of those moments where he's like, oh, oh, yeah, I got an idea. Let this happen, right, if this is it. I think the angel was whispering in his ear. That's what I believe, all right? Um, and, and you can say things in prayer. A lot of people prophesy over other believers in prayer, and they don't know it's prophesying. Like you're praying over someone and like all of a sudden these strange ideas come in and you start praying it over them. It's really encouraging and they start weeping and you're like, I don't know where this is. They're like, thanks so much. You're like, it wasn't me. I don't know what happened, right? It's prophetic prayer. You were prophesying over them. God's heart, you know, what God wanted. And you didn't even know it, but you were listening to the Holy Spirit. I think that's what uh, was happening here. But he, li- he lifts up this scenario, right? Now, I want, I want to point this out. This isn't also just on the other side something he's, he's making up out of thin air. He's using wisdom in even what to pray for. Because think about it. He's saying, if one of these women, there's going to be several women coming to get water. Let the one who not only offers me a drink, but also all my camels. What is that demonstrating? This is going to be a woman who is not self-centered. She's others-focused. She's kind. She's generous. She's loving. She has a servant's heart. Those are good qualities in what? A wife for Isaac. So he's using wisdom here in his prayer. But he's really asking for wisdom too. He's asking for confirmation. A lot of times in life and decisions, and you you feel like you kind of feel like I know what should happen, but I'm not sure. It seems like the wise thing. So I'm looking for confirmation of that decision. So he's asking the Lord for confirmation is, is what he's doing. It says this, before he finished praying, before he finished praying, Rebecca came with the jar on her shoulder. Everybody say, wow, that was quick. quick. Before he finished praying, the answer came. I wish it was that way every time. Um, Sometimes that happens. It's cool. And we praise God for it. Sometimes you have to wait a long time, like, 25 years, like Abraham, Isaac's daddy, right? It says she was the, the daughter of, it gives us some details. Now, this is written in hindsight, so he doesn't know what the narrator is about to tell us. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She's single. That's the Bible's way of saying she's single. She is beautiful and nice. It says she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her. Please give me a little water from your jar, he asked. Verse 18, drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar 
to her hands and gave him a drink. After she given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. So this is fulfilling his prayer, right? But remember, he doesn't know who she is and where she's from and what family yet. So he's like, I'm not sure yet, but it's starting to look like this is the answer, but I'm not going to jump to a conclusion. Listen to what it says. Verse 21, without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn. We are so impatient in modern day Christianity. We want a pill. We want a microwave solution when we say a prayer. And notice the answer did come as soon as he prayed. But he didn't even know it was the answer yet. He had to walk through a process of confirmation. And so he watches her closely. And this is so huge um, when it comes to discerning what God is saying. Learning to wait. Learning to watch the circumstances and events of your life. When I said earlier, God doesn't always speak in English. He doesn't always speak through a thought or, or, or whatever. Sometimes he speaks through providence. Sometimes he speaks through situations just falling into place and you're just like, oh my goodness, like the Red Sea just opened up right in front of me. And so you have to learn to, to read, to watch and to learn. And it's a process. It says, verse 22, when the camels finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Then he asked her, he's getting ready to like bestow some honor and say, I, you're the one. Like that's that, like, this is it. But he, he asked her this next question. Listen, whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, born to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. So he waits and watches for confirmation. He waits and watches. He waits and watches. And then, if you're taking notes, write this down. He asks the next question. Ask the next question. God will speak to you sometimes, and he gives you a little bit, a little piece. He'll give you the next step. And let me save you a lot of pain and heartache. Do not take the next step he reveals to you. Grab it and say, thanks, God, got it from here, and then run off like you know what you're doing. Because you will quickly find yourself in not in God's will, thinking you're doing God's will. Just ask Moses right after he killed the Egyptian. I know I'm the one. This is wrong. God's using me to deliver you. God's like, no, I'm not. That was all you. Now you're going to have to wait 40 years. So don't get ahead of God. Ask the next question. When God first spoke to us about church planning, I want you to start a church back where you're from. It was in a single day, and it was this powerful moment. And I did, I was like, thanks, God. I got it from here. And I spun my wheels for about a year, and I got super frustrated. (laughs) And then I gave up. And I said, if this is you, you're going to have to do something because you're not doing anything. Throwing it back. I'll do it, but you got to do something. I'm I'm doing all the work around here. That was really kind of what I was saying. I said, I'm giving up on this. If I love you, I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. But if you ever want me to do that, you, God, are going to have to do something. That's how I said, you are going to have to do something. And I didn't realize it, but I was trying to do God's will my own way. I was trying to get a job down here and be bivocational because in my mind, that was the easiest way to do it, which it would have been the hardest way to do it. It would have been the quickest way to do it, 
but the hardest way to do it. And after God brought it back up and he did some things and uh, showed me again that this was his will, he showed me, yeah, I don't want you to be bivocational. That's not how I want you to do this. And so when God shows you something to do, you might want to ask the next question. Okay, God, here's a really good one. When do you want me to do Start a church. Okay, God, whoa, I'm quitting. See you later. I'm going to start a church. In five years. Oh, gosh. Right? When do you want me to do this? Hey, here's another good one. How do you want me to do this? Hey, here's another good one. Who do you want to be a part of this? And I would say wait and watch and pray and learn until you get a lot of those questions answered. God's voice, the Holy Spirit's voice is not a high stakes voice. And I'm getting a little emotional because I've had to learn that the hard way many times. You know, Jesus had to learn to discern. You know, Jesus heard the devil's voice posing as God's voice. Did you know that? Matthew 4, Luke 4. Tell these stones to become bread. Oh, you're hungry. Tell them to come. You're the son of God, right? Do it. Is a good thing? Is that a bad thing to do a miracle? No, it's a good thing. It was the wrong motive. Oh, that's not working. Hey, jump off here because the Psalms say he'll command his angels concerning you. You won't strike your foot against the sun. Come on, prove it. I know for many years when I was trying to seek God more for spiritual gifts and all that, you go to pray for people, they're in a wheelchair, you're like, I should tell them to get up, I should tell them, if I really believe, if I really believe, oh, I feel like I'm supposed to, what do I do? Ah!" Jesus is peace. And when the day comes that he uses you to say, get out of that wheelchair, you'll have total peace about it. His voice isn't a high-stake voice. A lot of time, that's the interference. It's the enemy. Yeah, tell him to get up. Tell him, prove it. Prove that you have the gift of healing. Prove God loves you by the amazing things you can do through his spirit. That's jacked up. That's not the Holy Spirit's voice. If you've ever made mistakes in that, there's grace. Test prophecies. Don't treat them with content. Test them. Hold on to the good. That means you can get it wrong. You can get your radio signals mixed up. That's okay. It's a learning process. So ask the next question. He does. He gets another answer that confirms even more. She's beautiful. She's single. She watered the camels. She's from the right tribe. This has got to be the one. So he puts, oh, verse 26. It says, the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on a journey to the house of my master's relatives. And, and he puts the, the gold stuff on her, right? And this, I believe he's feeling it. He's like, I know you are the one, right? But notice he doesn't tell her that yet. And this is really important for prophetic people and for a prophetic community you have to also discern if the word, if something God's speaking to you or a decision is not for you, maybe it's for someone else. You need to ask God, when is the right time to release this word to that person or to the church or to the pastor? It might be for a specific time. 
And notice there's even a process to walk through to release certain words at certain times. And that's really important. And here's why the process honors the other people involved. Was he right and going, oh, she's the one, this is it. Oh, he's dead on right. He was right. I've had prophetic moments where God's like, this is happening. And I'm like, I know, it's amazing. And then it becomes very apparent. He's like, yeah, I wouldn't tell anybody else that right now. Like, ooh, that's hard. Sometimes it's hard to know things that other people don't know. Sometimes it's hard to know God's own will for your life when he doesn't tell anyone else. He doesn't tell your friends and family. Just ask Mary when she got pregnant. Angel showed up to her alone by herself. You're going to carry the Savior of the world. Boom, pregnant. God didn't explain it to her. God didn't explain it to her family for her. He only explained it to her fiance when he was about to divorce her. And let me tell you something else on the other side. We as a community, we need to learn to trust one another. And we need to learn to honor people when they say, the Lord told me. When, when people say that to me, I have the fear of the Lord in me to go, all right. Well, guilty until, or wait, innocent until proven guilty, right? I'm going to assume the Lord did speak to you, but I'm going to go through a confirmation process and watch your life to confirm that. I'm not just going to run with it, but I'm going to honor you. Whew. There's so much dishonor in the American church today, because America's a low-honor country. Like, we're all the same. We the people, we're all the same. And that, that's a good thing, right? But we need to get honor back in the church of God. Because David was anointed king as a teenager. And his own brothers dishonored him. And he went through a lot of heartache because of the dishonor of people who did not believe what God was saying over David's life. And they even witnessed that. The man of God anointing David. Joseph had dreams. Joseph was chosen as a leader by God. He made the mistake of releasing a word too early to people who weren't ready to hear it. And they severely mistreated him. Caused a whole lot of devastation in their family. Caused a whole lot of remorse and regret they had to deal with many, many years later in life. A lot of fear and trembling in their lives because of that. The way they mistreated, they didn't honor the word that God had given their brother because they didn't know him after the spirit. They only knew him after the flesh. And you're the jerk little brother that dad likes more than me. That was in the flesh. It was easy to hate him. It was easy for jealousy. But he was also the chosen one of God. And Corinthians says, we can't know each other in a worldly manner anymore. This is not a a worldly community. This is the kingdom of God community. I don't care if you know my parents or I know your, who your parents were. I don't care if we're all related in this area, if you go back a few generations, all right? I don't care if you went to high school with so-and-so. I don't care. That's after the flesh. I don't care if you knew what they did 10 years ago, five years ago. I don't care. Know them after the spirit. And that's part of the prophetic gift, seeing what God sees in people. I can't tell you how many times when we start in this church, you know, there's so much insecurity in that, in that, that original crew. Because it's like, oh, like everyone who comes here knows like me in high school and I was crazy. <laughs> and you were that way and you were that way. And oh my goodness, is this going to work? <laughs> it's about knowing one another after the spirit. And so walk through the process. It honors the other people involved. And I'll say this, the bigger a decision is, that God is speaking to in your life, 
and he may just be speaking to you, but the bigger a decision is and the more people it impacts in your life, the more confirmation you need. And you had better be sure (laughs) that it's God. So if it's who to marry, whether to adopt or not, which career path, which job, should I quit now, should I leave now, should I stay? Those are big decisions. And the bigger a decision, the more confirmation. You really need to know that it's God. I mean, that's Gideon fleecing God twice, not once, but twice. And if you read that story, he says, if this is you, let this happen. And what he's saying is what God called him to do was extremely difficult. Go right now in the power you have, right? Get up, go out of church and go save America with this band of 300 men. Go defeat the Russian army. Go, you know, go save Ukraine with 300 people right now. Go. Is that difficult? Oh, yeah. It better be God, right? You better not mess that one up. Because if it's not God, he won't back you up, all right? And that's not going to be a fun process. And so the bigger a decision, you need to know it's God. And if it impacts other people, there's probably a process God is orchestrating to, to honor the other people involved in your life. And so he goes with her back to their family. He tells the rest of the chapter, he tells them the whole story down to verbatim. The de- then I prayed that she watered, the cam- she watered the camels, guys, like he's telling them the whole story. And he gets done telling them everything. In verse 50, it says, Laban and Bethuel answered. This is her family, her parents. This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. And let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. Now, that's incredible. They're like, this is God. They confirm it. And that's the next step. Wise counsel. Godly people. You may be getting a lot of confirmation on your own, but if you're still not sure, ask wise, godly people. This is another way we need to honor one another and the Holy Spirit in one another. Jesus. I'm so thankful for counselors and the the profession of counseling today. But one of the reasons that it is so needed and prevalent is because the, the church in our nation and the church in the world today has lost the art of counseling one another in the Holy Spirit, because, and specifically for a lot of reasons, there's so much shame involved in religion and I'm and struggling. It's like, don't let anybody know you're struggling and act like you're perfect and everything's fine. But if we would really grasp James 5, confess your faults, confess your struggles to one another and pray for one another, you'll be healed, you'll be forgiven. When I send people to counselors, I do not send them to a non-Christian counselor. Why? Because Christians have the counselor of the Holy Spirit in them. And whether you're a professional counselor or not, let me tell you something. You can counsel prophetically as you hear from the Lord. And that's the most powerful form because it's hearing what God is saying. God's the best counselor, right? And so he asked for wise counsel. He asked for that confirmation. And they give it. They say, we agree with you, which is amazing. But they get up the next morning and they actually disagree on something. They disagree on the timing They disagree on the timing. It says, they get up the next morning, and he says, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us 10 days or so. Then you may go. They're like, we're going to spend time. We're going to say goodbye. This is all a shock, right? But he said to them, don't detain me. Now that the Lord has granted me success in my journey, send me on my way that I may go to my master. So they're disagreeing now. So, uh uh-oh, what are they going to do? I know, brilliant idea. 
Ask the young woman whose life it is affecting and going to drastically alter. That's a great idea. Ask her what she wants to do. So they called her in and said, uh, they, they asked Rebecca, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. And so they sent her on her way. They're honoring everyone involved and they confirm it. It is the will of the Lord. What he originally thought from the first time she said, let me water your camels. He's like, oh, this is it. But he walked through a process and he honored everyone involved. And by verse 67, the end of the chapter, it says, they brought her to Isaac and he married her. She became his wife and he loved her and he was comforted after his mother's death. So when it comes to discernment, hearing God's voice, number one, adhere to the guidelines of scripture. Number two, pray and ask God for wisdom. Pray and ask God for wisdom. Number three, wait and watch to see how God is going to answer. Look for confirmation. Look for the signs of confirmation. Number four, ask the next question. Number five, ask for wise counsel from others. And number six, confirm the details of the, and the timing with everyone involved. I mean, that right there is a way to start confirming the Holy Spirit speaking to you in your life. And it's a process. It takes time to learn that decision. I'm getting to the point now because I've been doing this like 18 years or so, um, where I'm starting to get to where I, I learn, I can sense the presence of God or, or the Holy Spirit speaking sooner and sooner. Um, and you learn how he speaks to you. But even then, the bigger decisions, um, I look for confirmation. And so I want to encourage you to, to do the same. And so I want to close with prayer today. And I just want to ask in prayer for God to impart this, this gift of just being able to hear the Lord's voice, to, to experience the presence of God to commune with the Holy Spirit um, on everyone here. And I want you to think about a situation in your life that you may need wisdom on, you may need direction on, something you're praying about right now. And I want to lead you through praying through this. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to live expectantly this week looking for God to answer. Amen? And so if you, if you want to participate, just stand up and just put your hands in a receiving position. And I would ask our, our ministry team to come up along the front, if you would, and just prepare to pray for people as we dismiss. Um, and, and ministry team, you can participate in this as well as we're doing this. We'll pray for people after. Um, so there's a couple prayers I always pray when I'm discerning something. I say, speak to me, Lord, your servant is listening. I say, this is a kind of a warfare prayer, but it's silence my flesh and every other voice. I only want to hear your voice, God. That helps silence my spirit, my emotions. It helps silence the voices of the enemy, the, you know, any demonic presences that are trying to mess with me, any interference. And then I say, I surrender to your will and your plans, God. I only want what you want. Because a sermon for another day, but your desires can cause you uh, to think certain things are God or the Holy Spirit, and it's really not. It's really just you wanting it. And so Ignatius indifference, you can Google that later, learning to be indifferent because you want the will of God. So being indifferent in and of yourself. And a saint of old named Ignatius pioneered that. It's living with surrender. It's not my will, but your will be done. That's what, it's that posture of heart. And I'll say those three statements when any time I'm discerning something. When we're praying up here uh, for people, if it's a situation like that, I will say those prayers in my mind just to prepare my spirit. Um, 
And so just pray with me and get, get a situation in your mind, something in your family, marriage, your career, finances, something you've been seeking God on. And we're going to ask him to give you wisdom right now. And just repeat after me. Say, Lord, speak to me. Your servant is listening. Silence my flesh and every other voice. I only want to hear your voice, God. I surrender my life to your will and your plans. I only want what you want. Speak to me right now, God, on this situation. And we're just going to take a minute and just, he may speak to you right now in this service. He may give you a a mental picture. (laughs) That's what we would call vision. You know, it's like a dream, but you're awake, right? But it's this mental picture, this movie that plays through your mind. He might speak to you in that way. You might hear a phrase in your spirit. I call it a thought that's not my thought. It's what it's like most of the time when God speaks to me. Like, boom, out of, no, like out of nowhere, like, that person's struggling with this, or I want you to do this, or I love you, Aaron, and he gives me some encouragement. He might speak to you right now in, in his presence right now. You might have this feeling, this compulsion, like, you know what? I'm supposed to call that person. I'm supposed to call so-and-so. They're going to help me figure this out. And you might just have a, a, a download. You might just have a knowing, like, boom, oh, my goodness, I know what to do. And in all these things, I'm saying walk through this process, seek to confirm. And then when you know it's him, or you're like 80% sure it's him, (laughs) obey. If it's a good thing he's leading you to do, direction he's giving you, obey, obey, obey. When you're ready, obey. And so, God, I just pray right now for an impartation over these people to hear your voice. I just pray for the gift of prophecy specifically to be distributed among our church family. And we thank you, God, for all these things. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.